the Skyflow Stoics podcast where presenters Robert Kuhn and Colin Hay present ancient Stoic philosophy to modern ears in the hope that people may find some inner freedom. So, welcome Casey, how are you alright? I'm great, how are you? Welcome to our second ever episode of the Scotland Stoics and we're glad that you're on for our second episode, so thanks for that. Oh, thank before, you. Before, before I, you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about who you are, where you come from, what you kind of do, I'm just going to put a couple of shout outs to a couple of friends who are uh, listening to my last episode of the podcast. One of them particularly picked up in my strong Scottish accent and says that my, my use of grammar was not the best. Yeah, he says the English line. I says to him, in fairness, I said, my friend Vincent, you know who you are, you'll hear this at a later date. I said to Vincent, I'm from Scotland, our use of the English language has never been the best. You know what I mean? There's lots of eyes and noise and me going, eh, 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 a lot. So I'll try not to do that as much tonight, Casey. Um, That's so, all right. You know, I just discovered on YouTube that there's an entire educational video um, explaining how even just the Scottish dialect is in and of itself uh, a whole nother language. It's most definitely another yeah. language. Yeah, it's a bit. How it talk, leading us on to that question, how are you getting on with your Scottish slang? Uh, I, I think I'm doing pretty well. Uh, would you like to give the listeners a, a interpretation of your uh, Scottish accent? Oh my God. So. <laughs> I didn't tell you I was going to give you, put you in the spot last, did I? You know, that's, that's all right. That's all right. What, what's one of my favorite Braveheart quotes? We'll go with that. Okay. So, um, you're so concerned with squabbling from the scraps of Longshank's table when you've missed your God-given right to something better. That's, that's bad, the best I can do. It's not bad. I'll give you that. We've got to work on, but it's just like my English language. It's got a wee bit to work on too. So, you know, and I'm, I'm 40 year old now, so I'm probably going to get a wee bit of, a bit of move on to work on it, you know. Um, I'm like the, the hillbilly knockoff version of a Scottish person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got a, we've got the equivalent over here called the the Ned. Uh, he's he's a very colourful character. I'll, I'll speak to you about that in a later a later episode. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right. Without further ado, what we do here in the Scotland Stoics podcast is we try and uh, do things a slightly slightly different, slightly different case. We like to. We like to get to know our guests first before we start talking about our obviously love for stoicism and um, how we get involved with it and so forth. So sure. uh, if you could give us a, a brief introduction of who you are and where you come from, please. Oh, yeah. So my name is Casey Pierce. I am a creator and um, flagship writer for uh, SourcePoint Press. And SourcePoint Press is the third largest independent publisher of comics and graphic novels in the world. I'm very proud to say that. I'm also um, CEO of Red Pen Media, which is an editing company. So I do editing, uh, copywriting, and even one-on-one uh, -on -one creative advising. And uh, I write the uh, movie option sci-fi series, Nora, which you saw in your local comic shop the other day. And uh, that's what I'm most known for. Since then, I have published a Viking witch series, Cirrus, which is sort of Norse mythology meets the craft. Um, and those you can find in your local comic shop as well. Um, but yeah, so I do a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's excellent, Casey. I seen from a little bit of research that I did into you, I said you're from the Detroit area. Yep. 
Yes, Metro Detroit. Now, I yep. know there mm-hmm. might be some people from Detroit listening that are like, girl, you didn't grow up in Detroit. I'm, yep. <laughs> we say that because it's like the nearest major city. So I'm actually 15 yep. minutes north. Okay, that's excellent. Well, that's me about my next question. So obviously being close to Detroit, so that's close enough for me. Detroit is a city known for obviously its automobiles and so forth, but it also has a vast musical culture. So we've got the likes of Eminem, Anifa Franklin, Stevie Wonder, The White Stripes, to name but a few. What was your uh, musical influences growing up? Uh, growing up, I listened to a lot of Motown because, uh, you know, my parents, uh, were always listening to the oldie station. So, um, and funny enough, what my ears sort of gravitated to was, uh, from the British invasion, which was, you know, the mid sixties mod rock. And, uh, I listened to, uh, you know, um, bands, you know, of course the Beatles, um, Let's see, um, the Easy Beats, um, you know, people that garage sound that was just happening uh, in the mid to late 60s. Um, But later on, and then throughout the rest of my life, I've listened to a lot of uh, new wave, um, modern Gothic music, which would be considered like Depeche Mode, uh, Talking Heads are some of my favorites, uh, Morrissey, um, The Smiths, of course, you know, things like that. Yeah, so there is a lot of British influence in there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Some some really good bands there and, and that you were saying. Right, so also I need to ask you, how was your schooling and is growing up? Is it okay? Yeah, I always say I went to a lot of schools because <laughs> I didn't know what I really wanted to do. So um, and, and most people, you know, when they uh, receive creative advising or counseling from me, they assume that I have this English major or that I have a bachelor's in sales. And I always tell people, and it's very inspiring that, listen, I'm working class too. I started as a massage therapist, you know, way far removed from this industry where most of my peers were uh, and colleagues were English professors. You know, I was nowhere near that. I'm just somebody who was like, you know what, I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn how to do this and I'm still doing it. No, that's excellent. Talking about professors, I was just led me on to something one of my other listeners was saying to me. He, he was um, talking about, obviously, Massimo was on last week. Yeah, and I did. Said, I listened. Yeah, did you, you listen to the episode? So he, he says to me, he says, how come an idiot like you got to speak to such a man of renowned education? I says, I don't know. I think it was called <laughs> Amore, I think Nietzsche calls it Amore Fatai, love of one's fate. Um, because that's only way, that's the only explanation I could give them. Because sometimes I need to punch myself as well. <laughs> yeah, me too. I I was like, you know, I have a movie action sci-fi series. I've traveled, you know, I've sold out in the United States, Canada, and overseas. I've been to Dublin twice. You know, I've given my um, a seminar in Dublin as well. Uh, very well received, and uh, I'm just like, wow, you know. And I just started as a massage therapist. I'm just so blessed every day that I get to do what I do and I did it on my own terms. Yeah, my face remarkable, isn't it? Which is obviously we'll talk a wee bit later on about how stoicism enhances that stuff, but we'll get to that in due course, okay? Um, the next question, um, so what was your interest at school? Because obviously we, and obviously we spoke about school and that there, but what was your interest? Was it art at the time or was that a later, a later development? Are we talking about stoicism or comics? No, 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 just in general when you're at school. 
So when you were at school, oh. did you, was your, your favourite subjects, was it, was it art? Obviously you get the comic book, right? And that, but oh. was it art at school? Yeah, I, went, I was, English was my, one of my favourite classes. I was vice president of drama club. So anything that, you know, lent itself to the arts um, was sort of my bag. And then mm -hmm. actually, when I was a junior in high school, I called because um, you could do this over the phone, sort of like a mini job shadow. I found Meatloaf's tour manager's phone number because I wanted to be a band tour manager for the longest time because I wanted to travel. And mm -hmm. his first question was, how did you get this number? <laughs> I said, well, it's online. And I said, and I love Meatloaf, so I thought I'd just give you a ring. And, uh, but he talked me out of it in one phone conversation. He's like, listen, do you want a family? I'm like, yeah. He goes, then you don't want this kind of life. You know. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I was yeah. expecting the same kind of res the same kind of reply when I was speaking to Massimo and Donald Robertson. You know, how did you get that number? But they end up the two of them are excellent. You know, first class, and I can only I can only thank them for the, the advice they gave us as well and um, the support they've been. Um, so the next, obviously, moving on a wee bit. Uh, the next question I'm going to ask you is that how did you eventually get into the the the, the comic book writing and especially especially the sci-fi and horror element here. Oh, because yeah. Because that's, that's a bit different, obviously, than, than the, the kind of genres I've grew up with, but the kind of superhero and, and the villains kind of stuff. So can you give us a wee description as to how that came about? Sure. Well, that's one of the distinct differences between uh, indie comic fans and mainstream comic fans. Uh, you know, the big two, they're putting out a lot of cape stuff, and that's fine. That's what we call it. We call it cape. Um, but indie comic fans were the ones who were gravitating towards things that weren't rehashes. They were kind of tired of the same, same old, same old, and they wanted, you know, original stories from uh, new creators. Um, so that started the rise of indie comics, which really saw a resurgence around, you know, 2014, 2015, right at the time I was getting into this and I, it was right place, right time. Um, yeah. And it's funny because I started out in prose. I was writing prose horror. So like just short stories, you know, no pictures. And um, I had written Pieces of Madness. And it was five short stories of the insane cultist and paranormal. Sort of a Clive Barker meets Twilight Zone, very much a gore piece. And uh, it, it wasn't good at the time. It, I mean, it, it, you could tell it was very amateur, but it started to gain um, a subterranean following because I didn't grow up reading horror writers. I grew up reading sci-fi authors, like the prophetic ones, like Robert Heinlein and Ray Bradbury. And that's where my roots are. So going into this, I was like, I want to highlight the human condition and really what, the, what scares me. And growing up in a Bible-centric home, that really changes what you're scared of um, compared to most people or most kids, you know? So some kids are scared of Freddy Krueger. I'm scared of demon possession, that kind of thing. But um, it was one story in particular, uh, His Majesty, that became the fan favorite because the catalyst for it was my mother being diagnosed with brain cancer for a second time. And I remembered in my grief, I said out loud, you know, she can't just leave me here. And I thought, what a selfish thing to say. But at the time I meant it because anger is a part of that. Um, so I wrote a story about a woman who just couldn't accept her husband's death. She just would not accept it and she would keep him in any way, shape or form. 
And so it's more of a macabre story than it is a scary story. But at the same time, you feel for her, you feel that desperation to want to hold on to a, a thing or even an idea. Like this is not the way it was supposed to go. This family dynamic we had built and you didn't try hard enough to live. And I think that resonated with a lot of people and that helped too. So fast forward, there's this flimsy little book of five short stories, a really low res cover. It was my face, it was like a selfie. And I was selling out of it at Comic-Cons and I had this following sort of starting and Travis McIntyre of Source Point Press had just taken over as editor in chief. He went to me and said, hey girl, like he does. And uh, you'd have to know Travis. And I was like, yeah, what's up? And he's like, well, I, I need you to pitch me a comic. Cause he, he could see him selling like a machine, right? I said, I don't do comics. That's not what I do. I write prose, I write novels. Me and my shitty little five stories. So um, anyway, and I had never, at the time, I'd never even seen a comic script. I mean, I grew up with comics because my brother is 13 years my senior. So I grew up reading what he was reading, which I probably shouldn't have, which was, you know, The Punisher, um, Yosagi Yojimbo, even The Mask, you know, the very first uh, Mask series before the film, which was very much different. Um, so at the time, I had the honor of knowing the great, late great Gary Reed, who was the president of Caliber Comics, who wrote a very popular series called Dead World. And I had a chance to speak, uh, to peek at a Dead World script. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, so this is kind of like a movie, right? So I wrote it cinematically. And that's why Nora on issue one, the very first issue is such a slow burn. Cause to me, it was like the first 10 minutes of a film. And, but it was good that I started that way because it played thematically and cinematically and lent itself to a film and it eventually did become film optioned. Um, and through a, a long string of editors and really just shutting up and listening, um, I learned so much and I am three times the writer now than I was then. And that was just five years ago. Um, and that's part of why I became an editor because to me, it shaped who I was, it shaped my career, it carved out my voice. And I really wanted to get out there and educate more people and show them that an editor is here to look for windows up opportunity to enhance your story, enhance your brand. They're not the enemy. We're not here to change anything. We're here to just turn it up a little. That's really interesting. And I like the idea how you say that it was quite amateurish and you were learning on a job, you know? Mm -hmm. And currently that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> 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 Podcasts are going to get better and better each week, Casey. You know yeah, right? yes. That, I mean, we, we just got to get out the there and do it. You just got to get out to. there and do it. That's the only way you're going to learn. Yeah, I think so too. And I think you need to start somewhere. So I think that's just, that was really quite inspiring for us. So thanks a lot for that. Thank yeah, you. it's like if, if you can tread water, you can swim. So you yeah. might as well just jump in. Oh, thanks. I really, I think that's quite inspiring. Thanks. And can I, can I ask a question about, so what makes a good horror novel and how does that differ from a superhero novel? A good horror novel? Yeah, so, what's the, so what would be the differences between a good horror novel to see a contrast to a good superhero novel? So a good horror novel uh, or a good horror story yeah. focuses on the uncanny. So you can put scary imagery anywhere and have not, not scare anyone. Like let's say for instance, you go and see a horror film 
And you know, you go and you have a laugh and then you leave feeling relatively safe about your own world, about your own reality, then that horror really did not affect you. It wasn't a great story. It's when something is a little bit off and your whole reality is changed and it has you feeling like the crazy one. Anything, um, gosh, what's his name? Uh, there's somebody who's the, David Lynch is the master yeah. of this. If you watch his films. It's just the weird quirks that you're like, huh? And then it has you feeling like you're afraid of the world around you and it sticks with you, that's good horror. Mm -hmm. I think the experience I had with that was uh, from the Mothman prophecies. When oh, I, was, oh, I was really, I, I remember walking up the road after watching that film and I was looking over my back constantly. You know, that was the kind of effect that had on me. So I get that, I get that, you know, that, the power. Because yeah, you got reports from people worldwide, you know, about this thing. Um, which, I mean, if we wanted to go against it and argue, we could say, oh, well, that's the power of suggestion. Well, that's a really strong power of suggestion. I think people would remember if they ran into the Mothman. <laughs> um, scary film, wasn't it? Um, so, no, that's fine. Thanks for answering that. Um, I'm going to lead this on to now, see if I'm 20 minutes in, so that's good. It's a 20 minutes. So, um, introduction to stoicism. Yeah, how, how, how did that come about? You know, I'll come to you, I'll leave it with you. You know, I always say that uh, I was a Stoic and didn't know it. And mm. it, I had just finished Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. Yeah. Uh, I'm an audible nut and I jog. So um, I kept seeing a suggestion for how to think like a Roman emperor. I'm like, you know what? That sounds pretty badass. I want to think like a Roman emperor. So I put it on and then I'm like, why did they get a Scottish dude to narrate this? Oh, wait a minute, that's the author. And so as I listened, um, I didn't realize that the first chapter would help me in my own grief because it opens with the death of Marcus Aurelius and his making peace with it and really highlighting that everything is impermanent. Um, through that graceful acceptance, would help me in my grieving the situation with my mother right now who has mm -hmm. Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because, you know, I'm 35 and I'm not young, but I'm not old either. And that is a strange time. You know, it, it's weird to relate to somebody that's in their 60s. You know, like my mother has Alzheimer's, but my mom's been through a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, it really, really helped me cope. Just that first chapter alone, I remember afterwards just being in tears. And I was like, I need to send him, the author, a thank you, just based on that first chapter. But as I listened on, I even stopped in the middle of my jog and thought, I've, I've always been this way, but I called it being a mercenary. You know, it's either this or that. Um, it made decisions easier for me. And I don't know if that comes from being the child of somebody who's a veteran, but my dad's very much like that too. Sort of desaturate everything and just say, it's not that big of a deal. Just make the decision. You're gonna be fine regardless, even if you think it was the wrong decision. In the grand scheme of things, you're gonna be okay. Nine times out of 10, it's not life or death. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's true. The, that's gonna lead me on to my next question. So obviously I read a couple of your, um, your articles that are on Medium. And especially, I actually shared the one on impermanence and death. Um, it's on my Facebook. So oh, thank I you. It was a really, really, really good article. 
Um, so how has Stoicism helped with your outlook on life, but also with death? Um, it, it taught me to really not to take life so seriously. I mean, and that life is so short. You know, if we're all just dust, then you might as well make the most of it. Mm. And people think that's such a bleak outlook, but it's actually a very freeing outlook. You know, it keeps you from being crippled by grief, anxiety, depression, um, the things that ultimately have you standing in your own way. And which was great after, you know, from reading Eckhart Tolle's work, you know, he talks about isolating the ego, that the mind is not necessarily your friend. Um, that really overlaps a lot with stoicism. So I'm glad that I uh, listened to the two back to back. Um, but in terms of, of death, I think it also disarms any notion, like you read in the article, that anybody is better than you are. You know, and I've, I've dined with celebrities. And to me, it's not even a big deal because you just disarm the notion that they're in a higher place than you just because of their social status or their net worth. When we die, none of that matters. That's yeah. not the last thing you're going to think about. The last thing you're going to think about is the people that love you and that are going to miss you and the people that you're leaving behind. And if that's what you think about in your last seconds of death, if you really think about it, that's what really matters. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I once seen a, a picture with people, I think it was five or six people all lined up and it was an x-ray machine that went over the top of them and it says one was a rich person, one was a poor person, one was straight, one was gay, one was something else and then there was one at the end with, with one leg missing that says pirate. <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> you know? and the, the active thing about it all was that when you strip it all back, we are all one and the same, you know what I mean? And we're all connected to the to the source a little bit. They would see in um, stoicism, the logos, you know. So that's, that's interesting. Um, so I'm going to go into a wee harder question now, Casey. You know, I think it'd be quite straightforward now. So I'll give you... I'm getting ready for it. I better set up straight. Something a wee bit more uh, harder to chew on. So you know the Stoics, we, we, we see um, the virtue is the highest and only true good. Yeah. Uh, Stoics, can you expand on this notion? Yes, absolutely. Um, every moment is an opportunity um, to respond. And you can only control your response and not the other person's. And an acceptance of that, um, that's a very freeing thing too. So the only, what should be your only option is to hold yourself to a certain standard and say, you know what, this is an opportunity to respond virtuously, to make it easier for me. And it's not my responsibility to mind how they respond. I think that's good. Yep, excellent. So this leads me on to another question related to virtue. Now I asked this to Massimo um, last week, being the, the intelligent man he was, you can imagine it was an in a 10 minute uh, conversation, which was excellent. Um, but I never kind of got to the point of one of the, the questions, one of the questions I was aiming at was to, well, I'll say what it is, right? It says, so cardinal stoic virtues, do you find one in particular harder to adhere to? So obviously that being wisdom, courage, justice, and temperance. So what do you think of that? Temperance, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you're, talk, you're talking to a former food addict, right? Yeah. So yeah. I had to dismantle junk food 
in order to lose the 115 pounds that I did. Um, and I would tell myself that, listen, what's happening is that your pancreas is secreting insulin and your body is getting a high from it. And in the end, it's going to be damaging to you. So every time I would sort of crave that junk food, I would think all you're looking for is a high and it's going to go away. And um, so, yeah, temperance played a big role in that. And um, I, I think also temperance is hard, especially right now in such a reactive age. I think people have lost their identities to politics um, in this current climate. It's about whose side are you on? You're either on this side or the other. And I think that's a very irrational way to think. I mean, it's pretty extreme. Um, you know, one person can say, well, I agree with this, but I also agree with this. Right now, it's not like that. And I think that's horrible. And nobody is exercising temperance, especially on, you know, social media. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Temperance has always been the most challenging for me, you know, and it, like yourself, especially when it comes down to like stuff like food and even just balance in general, you know, I'm getting a very addictive personality. So anything I do, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really in about it. I, I don't know when to stop. So it's one thing that stoicism's massively helped me with, you know, um, in the last uh, year or two. So thanks for answering that. The other question I'm going to ask you is, uh, where is there any been experiences where you've used um, resilience, you know, and stoic techniques to uh, get you through uh, difficult situations. Can you give us some examples, please? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, courage, I mean, it played a whole role in my career because in indie comics, mm -hmm. you have to learn how to be a salesperson. Like I said, there's a distinct difference between the big two and people like us is that no one's going to come out here and love your baby like you will you are literally going to have to talk to thousands of strangers. And at first, the very idea of it was crippling to me because I thought, oh, I'm bothering people. I can't do this. I'm not a salesperson. I'm a comic creator. That's who I am. But in indie comics, it's either, okay, you can do that or you can starve. So um, direct sales became my bread and butter and where I shine because I have the ability to endure rejections. And that's hard on the ego at first, but when you realize that these people don't mean it personally, like nobody passing by thinks, oh, you wrote a comic? You must have really put your blood, sweat, and tears in it. No, they're just there to buy stuff. And they're just like, you know, if they say no thanks, they're not rejecting you or your book for that matter. They're just, they just don't want to be sold. And I had to learn that over and over and over again. And I remember at Indiana Comic-Con one year, it was the first year and I had one book and I was selling with a fellow creator, Greg Wright. He writes uh, um, the Monstrous series, which is an all ages um, uh, monster book. And it's really fun. Um, but he can sell like a machine because he doesn't care what people think of him. He'll take those thousands of no's if it just means one yes. And um, I, our editor, Travis, again, he's a habitual hazer. And he was teasing me and said, oh, Greg is over here outsawing you. And he didn't realize how much the no's were hurting me. And I broke down crying. I said, well, I haven't sold a comic in two hours. And so immediately, and he's a big dude, he puts his arm around me and rushes me to the back. He's like, stop crying. People are going to think I hit you. So we get out to the loading docks where he told me, he really put it in perspective for me and, you know, the view from above. He's like, listen, for one thing, you have one book, Greg has five. Another thing, think about it this way. 
you don't need thousands of people buying your work. You need the right 500 to follow you. And if you don't genuinely engage with these people, they're not going to find you. And I really, from that day on, I was like, you know what, it's, he's right. I don't want customers because customers come and go. I need a following, whether they buy my book or not, to give them a card to genuinely engage, to make an impact, they'll remember me. And I have fans that never even bought the Nora series, but later on down the line, they bought Sirius because they loved heavy metal. Like that's their bag. You're not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but um, you know, it's dismantling people even too. Like even the people that said, no, I'm like, I'll never see these people again. What does it matter? So, but yeah, that helped, that helped a lot. That's just one of the things, but uh, we're talking about my career. That's getting over the fear of people and the fear of rejection um, and just getting out there. And I would say, you know, lose your mind to find yourself. Just get out there and make a fool of yourself. I'm like, oh, I'm on it and I'm great at it. <laughs> no, it's excellent. I think for myself, you know, I was saying it's what like stuff I use that helps me um, to build resilience is uh, I'm, my fitness. You know, I, I do a lot of running, as I, I spoke to you about previously, and I do a lot of cold water exposure. Is there uh, stuff like that you do yourself? I heard you speaking about me about, about running earlier on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you do stuff like that yourself? Yes. Uh, so I try to challenge myself every day. I do a lot of weight training. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I've never been much of a runner, but I'm trying to be better. So um, I'll give myself, you know, a, a landmark to sprint to. And then I'm like, well, you made it this far. You might as well go a little bit farther. It's not going to kill you. Mm -hmm. um, and your body will adapt, you know, so long as you go slowly. Um, but also, um, building emotional resilience like having the courage to walk into a gym you know weighing 300 pounds and you know amongst people who are all fit you know i, I went to a, a gym that was um what planet fitness would call full of lunkheads but really that's something we make up in our own mind that these people are judging you they're not there to judge you they're there to work out but in the end, those people became my big supporters because they got to watch me drop all this weight. And, um, you know, that, that was a really cool thing, you know? And I think that after you lose a massive amount of weight like that, it just starts momentum going because that, that was one of the biggest um, resilience builders for me um, was being able to do that. And I remember I had told you before, like I had written on the fridge, like a goal and I knew I needed to lose a hundred pounds, but I put 90 because it was one less numeral. So I didn't psych myself out. So I would take it 10 pounds at a time. Yeah. And uh, eventually I lost 115. 115. That's, that's remarkable. That's remarkable. We've actually got a guy on tonight on, his, uh, on this, on this uh, live chat now who does a lot, a lot of weights, trust me, he's, he's like, he looks like Conan a Barbarian, you know, if, if his hair was not long, if he wasn't long, if his hair was long, he'd look more like Conan, trust me, so he could probably give you some advice and all, and no, that's fine, I think that, that most of the questions that I was related to stoicism, um, I've asked you for myself, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up to the people who are on just now, I know Gerard and I know that Colin's on, um, so, if guys, if any's got a question to ask Casey, can you come in and ask her just now? Just unmute yourself one at a time, please. Thank you. 
Yeah, I'll go first, Bob. If I, uh, if I actually took, if I actually showed you, let me just put the, the video on just now. Hi, Casey, how are you doing? Hi, good, how are you? Look hey. what I am. I've got a gym at the side of my house, right? So I put this on thing. I'm going to listen to Bob do his thing and speak to Casey, and you know, I'll just play about with the weights in the background. So I am so um, jealous of you right now. Oh my god, look at that setup! <laughs> there's a there's a touchy irony about that. Um, you couldn't have timed that any better, Bob. So I'll sit down for this now on my weight bench. So so stereotypical. Um, <laughs> I've even tried to grow a beard to like a philosopher just now, so yeah. Um, I'm, yeah I'm not, you not... you, you got to get the, the sandals, the long yeah. robes. The... Well, I think I've got a poncho or a kind of robe somewhere here, so I'll, I'll just wander about the streets and kind of, you know. you got to <laughs> search somewhere. <laughs> Find my, my stoic stone and just uh, set myself up there. Uh, yeah, so um, I suppose I've got a question in a sense. Um, I've been doing the last four months with um, the, the lockdown and, you know, the COVID and everything that's been going on worldwide, Casey, and in the UK, we did about three, four months of lockdown, so to speak. Um, and it's allowed me to do a lot of reflection on past behaviours, you know, where I've been, where I've come from, how I apply the system to it. So do you ever go back and look at other instances in your life where, I think I listened to your um, podcast you done. It was uh, modern stoicism, and you said you were a stoic before you knew it, or you you're a stoic and didn't know it. I think that was a quote you used. So where where else is that actually applied to uh, in your life? Where you know you have been a stoic and maybe not known it, or where you where you would have thought you know a bit of stoicism would have been great at this point in life. I think. Uh... In, in terms of relationships, you know, I was, I had left men that I was still in love with for the sake of the bigger picture, because I wanted to do what was in both of our best interests. I knew that ultimately I was doing good, you know, because mankind wants to do good. It wants to think good. And that's really what I was doing. I was having everyone's best uh, interest at heart. Also in terms of leadership, um, I'm in college right now. I'm getting my bachelor's in uh, business. And um, I remember I was elected team leader for this project that we had. And it was a video, a group project because we're all in quarantine, right? So we can't get it together. None of us knew anything about video editing, nothing like that. But I knew no matter what, we were going to do it. We were going to pull it off. And maybe I didn't know how at the time, but we were going to. And there was this woman on our team, God bless her, she's very neurotic, um, who was worried because I didn't know anything about video compression and this was a large file. It was a thousand, whatever you call it. And we needed to shrink it down to 400. And she was like, oh my God, I hope we don't have problems uploading it. And she kept saying it over and over. And I said, listen, I'm not gonna let that happen, okay? Because in that moment, she didn't need to know that I didn't know anything about video compression that I was scared to. She didn't need layers and layers of value judgments as to why I might not get a thing done. She needed to know that I was competent enough to come through and that's it. Yeah, okay. And I suppose it then lets me follow into another issue. I've uh, been reviewing my ego the last few months with it as well then. So has there ever been a point where the ego has got in front of any of your decision making? 
and where again you would look at it and think stoicism would have been uh, would have been handy here. Oh yeah, like every day when I wake up and have anxiety, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, right. it's funny because I I was telling um um I'm sorry I was saying earlier that no one is can be a hundred percent on all the time. I mean we're all humans. I mean being a stoic doesn't make you perfect. You know we're gonna have moments where somebody's going to make us angry especially like i said reactive on social media we're like i can't believe that they put that i can't believe that they're taking the podium and giving all these seven paragraphs about politics and maybe i don't agree with their politics etc and it takes stepping outside the ego or recognizing what is an ego response and what is you and realize okay well that's not me so for a moment i handed over my power to somebody else i let them have control over how I felt over this, you know? So it yeah. takes that stopping and sort of um, contrast because contrast exists in our lives for a reason. It has to be there. So to be perfect actually does us no good at all. We learn from contrast and we just get better each time. Yeah, I suppose that all comes from the, the temperance part and that jostle we have, you know, continually trying to maintain it and, and not let the ego go away from us and yeah i mean i'm a i'm a natural extrovert and i and i'm a bit like you sometimes i feel i want to jump on something and give an opinion back but i then bring myself back and you start to review your actions and review your thought process and you know something that outrages you you think well this has been going on for millennial this has been going on for thousands of years like what's new about corruption what's new about bribery <laughs> what's right. new about injustice you know and you think to yourself so what can I control? Well, you know, I can look around about me. There's maybe family and friends that I can help. There's my own circumstances. And then there's my own reaction. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's something in the last few months that I've obviously tried to jostle with myself. And I think because of, I'm coming out of a reflective period, then it's just interesting to see how other Stoics or Stoic followers across the world have been doing it as well. Well, I'm glad that you were granted the time to reflect. That's wonderful. Yeah. You made, cool. the, you, you made the best of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's it for me, Bob. I'm, I'm going to get back to the workout and, and I'll listen in, but you know, I can hear you. No worries, excellent, mate. Good effort. Keep up, Hi. keep up the good work, mate. Thanks, buddy. No, thanks very much, Cheers. Thanks, mate. Um, we next up, we have Colin. Do you want to come in with anything? Hi there, can you hear me? Hi, Colin. Yeah, I can hear you, mate. Hi, hi, yeah, hi Casey. I'm sitting in my pyjamas here. I'm no, no in a gym. Uh, <laughs> I've got a couple of questions, Casey. I, I apologise, I missed the start uh, of the interview, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I want, want to know if you could tell us a bit more about the upcoming comic book that you have coming out with Donald Robertson. And oh, yeah. Um, so that it's not necessarily with Donald. What I did was I came in and I did a little bit of content editing. Um, because I had reached out to him in an email and told him, you know, I would, you know, this, this whole long email of, I loved your book and just really, you know, letting on about it. And um, I said, I will give you free proofreading services if you'd like, because I saw that they were farther along in the illustrations. And um, he said, you know, he wanted my opinion on a page, whether or not it worked um, to induce horror or was it, you know, inducing horror right or provoking it? And 
I offered a little bit of, you know, suggestion here and there. And then he sent me a whole slew of chapters and he was like, well, I trust your judgment. And so I um, gave a lot of, um, you know, as a friend, you know, I, I gave a lot of um, story content um, editing suggestions. But this is a gorgeous book. It's going to come out in one trade. It's a sweeping epic, absolutely gorgeous. It's really going to be a conversation starter uh, about the life of Marcus Aurelius. Um, so it goes without saying, like, if you're a fan of epics like Gladiator, you would really enjoy it. And um, uh, the illustrator is fantastic. I mean, it's just, and there's these large panels, like these landscape shots that are just breathtaking. Like reading the book is like watching a film. It's at, and that, the release date for it, and people keep asking me, um, it's, it's to be announced, but it should be maybe later this year or early next year. Great, thanks, thanks for, thanks for that. I look forward to having a wee read of that. Um, another question, role models are quite big in, Stoicism. I wondered if you have currently, who are your role models and could you tell us what you get from those people and uh, and maybe who's your favourite Stoic as well? Uh, Donald is definitely one of my favourite mentors. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's funny because I, I, I stopped to think about who is my, uh, my favourite philosopher in Stoic philosophy. And I went through, you know, Zeno and Seneca, and Seneca was a strong contender. And it sounds kind of basic, but I'm, I stick with Marcus. Um, because my favorite part about stoicism is the self-empowerment and being aware when you may be handing over your power um, to other people. And, you know, uh, emotional resilience and being able to desaturate situations of any value judgment you place on them makes you damn near invincible. And I think Marcus really drives that home when he says, you know, choose not to be harmed and you won't be harmed. Don't feel harmed and you haven't been. It can only ruin your life if it ruins your character. Otherwise, it cannot harm you inside or out. Um, so he reminds us that more often than not, we're our own worst enemy. That idiots with big mouths are distractions that cripple us from moving on to the next thing. And I'm somebody who's always asking, what's next? I would rather ask that than, you know, wallow in my present misery. And I think Marcus's, Marcus's words are really good for sort of driving that home. And I think that was his favorite part about Stoicism too. Great, thanks. And what about like current role models? Have you got anybody, you mentioned Donald, uh, but is there any, what, what is it about Donald that inspires you? Um, I think, because he also, his writings, he also focuses on, focuses on those things, the self-empowerment part. Um, and he wrote How to Think Like a Roman Emperor to cater to that self-improvement uh, genre. Um, but I think, gosh, if I'm trying to think of role models I admire in, uh, in popular culture, and it's going to sound funny, but we look at someone like Dolly Parton you know, uh, who's been a country music musician for eons, you know, for 50 years. And not only that, but she's her own brand. She's her own corporation. Um, she runs several businesses and uh, she's always got her nose to the grindstone. And I always say that there's a reason they put blinders on the racehorse. And she's definitely one of those people who just does it the way she does it. And she doesn't mind anybody else or compare herself. 
uh, and she does it really well. I mean, nobody does it like she does. And she, plus, she's a great storyteller. I always see that she's the, uh, the female Bob Seger. She's just really good at telling story. Thanks very much. Thanks for answering my questions. Well, Casey, we're coming up the end of the, to the podcast, but before we finish up, we need to find out where can anybody get a hold of you? All right. Find out about current material you're doing and so forth. Sure. So you can find me at facebook.com slash Cosmic Casey, both with K's. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at KCD Writes, not as in women's lib, but as in physical writing. Uh, Twitter, Cosmic Casey, and then you can find Red Pen Media, my editing company, on Facebook as well. Excellent, Casey. Thank you. Now, you did mention, I'll, fin I'll definitely finish up with this. You did mention earlier on that you visited Ireland twice. Yes, not yes. that long. Right, well, you know what to do next then, Casey, don't you? You just hop over the water, come and see us at the Scotland Stoics, eh? Come and see. I mean, I'm not going to deny it. Ireland's a beautiful country, but it's no Scotland. Scotland's absolutely wonderful. So hopefully we'll see you over here soon. Okay. Oh, absolutely. As soon as they open the border, dude, I'm there. That's it. Last I'd like to hear, Casey. Right. Uh, thank you very much for an excellent um, podcast tonight. I hope my English was a wee bit better than the last time, and I can only improve. So for all my listeners, tune in soon. We'll have a guest coming up in the next few weeks. So thank you very much. And thank you once again, Casey. And I'll speak thank to you, you soon. Okay? Thank, yes, you. thank you. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye, bye.